Hello, welcome to this BMJ podcast about well-being. In this episode, we'll be talking about how developing an ability to pause can help our well-being. I'm Abby Rimmer, careers editor at the BMJ. And I'm Kat Chapfield, a trained GP with an interest in quality and patient safety. Abby and I co-lead the BMJ's wellbeing campaign, which is particularly important for frontline clinicians during the second wave of COVID. Many of us are feeling absolutely exhausted and trying to maintain our well-being is a greater and greater challenge. So today we're going to be speaking to an author and academic about how learning to pause might help. And Kat, kind of the um, impetus for us to be speaking to Rob today is because you saw him speak. I think that's right. That's right. So I've seen Rob speak before and I actually have a copy of his book, which is called uh, do pause you are not a to-do list um, now I have to confess I haven't actually read it <laughs> but it's been on my list of things that I wanted to read uh, and I was just really particularly interested by this idea of um, feeling like I have a to-do list constantly in my head all the time um, whether it's work or home or school related stuff um, and it's quite overwhelming and I'd quite like to find some ideas about how I can step back from that and get some some space so I'm really fascinated by this idea of pause and I really don't understand what it's all about (laughs) so I'm hoping Rob is going to be able to explain it to us today. I love the irony that you have on your to-do list to read a book about how not to have a to-do list. (laughs) I've got so many other books on my to-do list Abby. (laughs) Well anyway we're delighted to have on the podcast someone who can tell us how to maybe scrap that to-do list and give us a fresh perspective on pausing and well-being. Hi, yeah, I'm Robert Poynton. Um, I live in rural Spain, uh, though I grew up in the UK, and I'm the author of a number of books, uh, and the one we're going to talk about today is Do Pause. Uh, So Rob, when you talk about pausing, what exactly do you mean? Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, an interregnum, a parenthesis. Uh, I don't mean anything of any particular time length. I think one of the interesting things about a pause is that they can be very short or sometimes quite expansive. Um, A pause is also not nothing. It's almost impossible to do nothing, but a pause is therefore a shift or a change of activity or attitude, perhaps. Um, And uh, it's... Yeah, not unnecessarily, therefore, an empty space, um, though it may uh, yield the chance to do something differently or to see things in a different way. So it's quite a plastic concept, quite um, quite a lot of the book is really exploring, well, what do we mean when we talk about pausing? On this podcast, we talk a lot about doctors' well-being, and I wonder, Rob, if you can tell us a bit about how taking a pause can maybe help improve your well-being. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> the way I see it, if you if you don't consciously, willingly take a pause every now and then, um, life will force a pause upon you. And um, we see this very commonly in what's sometimes called burnout now or people crashing. Um, and so I think um, I think pausing is a sort of inevitable thing. The question is, well, how do you want to go about it? And so in terms of health and well-being, I think thinking consciously and carefully about when and how and where you pause or could pause more, whether it's for a very brief moment just to collect your thoughts or to uh, create space for somebody around you, lots of reasons you might pause. Um, I think 
thinking about that consciously is much better than not thinking about it and having crash and, and land upon you. So I think it, I'd challenge anybody to say, well, I never pause in my life. But um, the question is, are you pausing where you want to and how you want to? And is it being forced upon you or do you get to choose? And if so, how do you choose and what for? So it sounds like there's something here about kind of actively taking control of, of that pausing. Um, and how do you think it helps to speak about it in these terms? Idea, I think, uh, that I've sort of ended up with is that I think speaking about and thinking about where and when do I put pauses in my life of whatever duration, for whatever purpose, I think is a really simple and practical way to think about how you not just manage your time, but compose a life, if you will. And I think that is a very sharp contrast to the idea of work-life balance. Um, amongst many other things, I work at the Said Business School in Oxford on leadership programmes. And over the course of almost 20 years, a very large number of people from many walks of life from all over the world all uh, admit, often is the way they think of it, admit reluctantly to having problems with work-life balance and when that many people from that many walks of life say they have a problem you think well maybe the the idea is the problem not not that and this idea of work-life balance particularly in the medical profession particularly now suggests that there's some sort of magic point and uh, it also suggests that work and life are somehow in opposition as opposed to um being in concert um so in that kind of oppositional adversarial way of thinking, um, it's quite hard to justify taking time for life, whatever that might mean. And so we end, tend to end up working, working and working. Whereas if you just think about, well, where can I pause? Um, even if it's just for a moment, when I get out of the car, before I enter the hospital, before I open my mouth to, to ask a question of a patient, even if it's just an instant or the opposite, when I leave work, before I get home. And so those opportunities to pause will be there and i think one of the really interesting things about pauses is a small amount of time measured chronologically can have a disproportionate or significant effect so just taking a few moments to take a breath before you um, act or before you speak or before you uh, enter your home or your place of work or your office or the operating theater or whatever it is um can make a surprising difference to how you feel and then what you're able to do. And I think that's true at every level of scale. So I've just used an example, which is about moments. But funny enough, working with a, a medical practitioner at the moment, a psychiatrist, and he's talking about trying to um, uh, carve out a space of two or three weeks to think through deeply issues in his professional life and his professional direction. Um, and so two or three weeks like that might serve him for many, many years. So I think that it's I think of it as like yeast. So you don't need very much yeast to make bread. Um, but if you don't have any, you get a kind of flat, dull, doughy kind of a thing. And so if you think of pause in that sense as leavening our everyday lives, little pauses here and there, thoughtfully considered and chosen uh, for each individual, for what suits them, uh, can leaven our lives and and uh, and make things feel very different. I'm sure that you hear this all the time, Rob, but I imagine there are some people who feel like they just don't have time to take a pause. And I wonder what you'd say to them. Uh, 
Yes, you're you're right. That is a very common response. I think it's mostly based on a misunderstanding. I think it's based on the idea that I'm advocating pausing uh, as a sort of retreat, you know, going to the mountains to find enlightenment. Um, I think it's also based on on the idea that um, more pause, I would say more pause is always better, which I don't at all, you know. So there's a number of misunderstandings there. But to people who are very busy, I mean, I'd, um, I'd say, well, um, yeah, there's an old saying, the old sayings are very interesting. You know, if you don't have time to do it right, what makes you time think you have time to do it over? So that actually um, part of the busyness is a result of not pausing, not not having thought through, not taking time away from... It's doing triage, if you like, to put it in medical terms. You know, there's a classic example of, you know, people will die while you're doing triage if you're in a field hospital in, a, in, a, in an armed conflict. But we know that it's important to be able to set priorities. So doing your own sort of mental triage. So when you're in this runaway train of this kind of don't have time, don't have time, don't have, don't have time, I'd say, well, actually, that's a consequence of not pausing. So you might want to consider consider that. Um, and this illusion, you have to ask yourself, well, why am I always busy? What am I getting from being always busy? Is it actually to do with things um, to do with my ego, making me feel important, making me feel I'm uh, absolutely messy. No one else can do this. Um, so there's quite a lot going on there. Or is it just a sort of misread of an expectation? So we live in a world which I think of as designed by machines for machines, and machines run very well at a constant speed, and often the faster the better. But for living, breathing beings like ourselves, you know, there's always an ebb and a flow, an in-breath and an out-breath. And by the way, there's a pause between an in-breath and an out-breath. So if you want to find a really, really tiny pause, you can just notice that pause between the in-breath and the out-breath. Um, but for us sort of fluctuating, variegated uh, human organisms, actually um, kind of running at that breakneck speed isn't, I think... Um, yeah, it's going to lead to a crash. So I would say to them, well, you know, um, it may feel like that, but kind of consider you don't have to pause for very long. You know, you don't have to go off to the mountains. You just take a breath or feel your feet on the floor or stop before you enter a room or um, take a moment to listen to the sounds around you, but really listen to them. So there's a million tiny things you can do. And nobody's that busy. I, mean, I joke with people and I say, you know, if you don't have time to count to 10 before you enter a room, count to one. And I think as soon as you've counted to one, you've broken the flow. So there is that interregnum. Um, one of my favorite stories, which I tell in the book, is about um, a zendo uh, uh, in California where there's a wooden bar across the door, like a wicket gate through it into a, in a big gate in a city wall or something. And it's there for a reason. It's there so that as you enter the room, you have to stop and lift your foot. And there's also a set of rules around which foot you, you lift so you can't automate the process. And so... Um, the reason that's there is not so that you enter in a state of Zen-like tranquility, though that may be the case for some of the Zen students. It's actually there so you just notice how you are. And that stopping you for an instant is enough for you to notice how you are. So if you're tired and stressed, you, by pausing, you might not make the, t the tiredness or the stress go away, but you can at least remember and notice that you're feeling perhaps a bit irascible or a bit stretched thin. And that might help you speak perhaps a bit more kindly to a colleague or ask a question rather than make a statement. Um, so it can head off problems in advance. Yeah.
It's that time of year where amongst all the festive spirit, it's easy to fall into our old bad habits and resolve come new year to change. But how do you actually make sustained changes in habits or lifestyle? And how can we use the precious little time in our consultations with patients to help them too as well? On the latest episode of Deep Breath In, the podcast from the BMJ for GPs, we asked two leading behaviour change experts, Sheru Izadi and Cindy Gray, for their tips. Take a listen now. Just search for Deep Breath In on your podcast app. Rob, this sounds like it's got a lot of similarities with ideas around mindfulness and things like that. Is is there a relationship between the two concepts or is Paul slightly different? I'm never quite sure what mindfulness means, to be honest. Um, so um, I'll answer from my kind of slightly uh, biased position, I suppose. I mean, I think mindfulness is kind of sounds very cool and interesting, but the very fact that I don't quite know what it is, is part of the problem. So it sounds a bit woo-woo, a bit weird. Am I doing it properly? Are we, are we, you know, people have this idea of in meditation, for example, mindfulness meditation, are you emptying your mind? Is that possible? I don't know. So for me, the difference is pause is a very simple, ordinary, everyday concept that we all recognize. And yet um, there's quite a lot of fertile territory to explore because if anybody, if I were to ask anybody, how long is a pause? Who knows? You know, and so it's very familiar on the one hand, but quite rich and complex on the other. So that's the way I think of it. I'm sure there is a lot of overlap. Um, But for me, what I like about pause is it's just so ordinary. Hmm. Rob, can you talk a bit about um, when we're preparing for the podcast, we were talking a bit about stopping work and going to sleep and like what's the interval in between. I found that a really kind of powerful illustration that speaks to Abby's point about not having time. I mean, I said earlier that if you don't pause, uh, life will make you pause. I mean, we all pause for a period, even if it's not very long in every in every day, which is we go to sleep. And um, before we go to sleep, we stop doing whatever we're doing, often working. And um, there's this idea which I came across at Schumacher College in Devon, but originally goes all the way back to Gandhi, about the idea that, well, given that you have to stop at some point before you go to sleep, then then it's then then why not choose more carefully or choose a different moment or choose to stop sooner it's simply not true that you can keep going the whole time and so that notion about choosing to stop a little bit sooner um and i think actually there are savings to be had or gains to be had if you will because sometimes by by not trying to squeeze out that last drop of activity or action you you kind of you have time to think and then you might realize that actually tomorrow you you're going to do something differently or you can do things in a different order. Um, and so uh, the, the the time that you sort of taken back for yourself can help to save you time, if that's the way you want to think of it, uh, in, in the future. But one way or another, it's 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 true that we're already all choosing to stop or pause at some, t- at some point. So why not exercise more consciousness, more discretion about that? So talking to colleagues in general practice at the moment about um, the challenges of working remotely and having a very different working setup, going from regular appointments to having suddenly this just long list of of caseload and patients to see, and not really having a formal time to stop. You know, the practice doesn't shut at six pm or six thirty pm as it used to. 
Um, some of those colleagues have reflected how difficult it is to stop in that situation and to, to sort of draw boundaries around that. Do you have any kind of reflections that might help them? Um, well, first to acknowledge the difficulty. So I think it's important to accept and understand that all of us, even in normal times, are under immense pressure. And this, I think there's three layers to that pressure. So I think one is the sort of technology and its impositions and the sort of dopamine hit that the social media and associated platforms can give us. Um, there's, there's then a the sort of psychological and social pressure, which is that um, it is afforded high status to be seen to be busy. And I think that's probably as true in the medical profession as anywhere else. Uh, and then underlying that perhaps is a slightly more subtle psychological idea of if I am what I do and I'm not doing anything, then who am I? So I think the first step is to acknowledge those three things that work in confluence and they all feed each other to accept that this is a, this is a genuine and difficult and somewhat intractable problem. So sort of to have some compassion for yourself when you feel you might otherwise be failing. So those are the things that that you face. So then then my advice would be, so first, in the face of that difficulty, uh, allow yourself to make pause a thing, to accept that um, you're going to uh, try and find some ways to pause here and there. So to to kind of actually address it, to, to, to literally make it a thing, it sounds asinine in, in a way it is. Um, and then to ask yourself, well, where am I pausing already? And where could I, how could I build on that or, or make sure that that doesn't get further eroded and protect that? And where might I want to introduce some small elements of pause and to try stuff out and, and, and do more of what works? As opposed to kind of thinking, well, I'll get to the end of this whenever that is, which of course will never come. Uh, and then I'll and I'll just kind of you know muscle my way through it, or just sort of grinning and bearing it. Um, so I think that you know understanding the difficulty, choosing to do something for yourself, starting small, trying stuff out, doing more of what works, letting go of what doesn't, would be kind of a simple recipe, if you like. Rob, this is probably going to sound like a very simplistic question, and we'll probably tell you a lot about how I think about the world and things. But I wonder if you can talk a bit about. How do I know when I've taken enough pauses? So how will I know for me what is enough? Is is stopping at the threshold of a door every day, is that going to be enough to change things? How, I'm sure it's different for everyone, but how will I know? How will you know? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and absolutely, it will be different for everybody. Um, I think the, the easiest way to say how you... Is sort of address that question the other way around. It says, well, no, nobody's going to tell you. It won't come with a label or a ticket. And um, uh, and it would be simplistic to think of, you know, I need to tick off all these things. So I think it has to do with being able to check in with and register your own internal feeling and sensation. And um, funnily enough, I think that requires practice, actually. I often refer to our kind of interception as a sort of, and our body as this wonderful instrument, and it's full of information and data, but we can easily kind of not notice that. Um, and so I think you kind of need to, you need to check in with how you're feeling, and that requires getting to know your body a bit. So, you know, are you feeling that tension still in your shoulders, or have you got that feeling in the pit of your stomach? And so I think... Uh, you'll need to sort of check in with yourself and see if you're feeling replenished or depleted. Uh, and if whatever you've decided to try and do in the way of pausing is just becoming another task, another chore, another thing to tick off, another sort of, you know, 
whip to beat yourself with and that's that's probably not working so then let it let it go you know uh, if on the other hand you find that um you're feeling kind of things are flowing becoming somewhat easier even if in a tiny way then you might want to go well where can i extend that where else can i put that um where else could i do this with profit i think your point about it not being a tick box thing is a really good one because i can imagine you know, especially with sort of very high achieving people who feel like they want to get everything done, it could become a kind of, oh, I've got to pause today, check, I've done that and move on. Yeah, there's a lovely story I heard once, uh, shortly after the book was published, I was talking with somebody in the business school at Oxford, a participant, I can't remember what her profession was, and we were talking about pause. And she said, oh, yes, I've programmed my Apple Watch so that um, every hour I uh, get, and I can't remember how much it was, I think it was two minutes or something to pause. And I remember thinking... Oh, well, that that's a good idea, isn't it? And yet there was something that didn't quite sit sit right with me. So I reflected upon this. And actually, I think to some extent that is a good idea. So if you can create the triggers and uh, uh, priming mechanisms that, that remind you to do things, we all know that forms habits and that's very helpful. But on the other hand, I think I was also right in, in some being somewhat sceptical about it because I think if it just becomes programmatic, I, it says here on this piece of you know paper or on this device, I should now pause. But maybe that's not the moment to pause. And the machine won't know. So it brings us back to, to that, that sense of having to get in touch with your own feelings and your own body and what works for you. And the bit that was missing in the sort of programmed thing is that is the initiating of it. To choose to pause means, no, I feel now is a good moment for me to just take a breath or two. Because I can sense rising panic or or I know I'm running on empty. Um, and the machine won't tell you that. This sort of leads into my next question, Rob, which is sometimes, you know, when I'm feeling very overwhelmed by my to-do list, I can find it very hard to give myself permission to pause. Um, and so obviously maybe the kind of prompt on the watch is one way of doing that. Um, and often I find it very helpful if someone else gives me permission to pause and says, oh, you know, have a cup of tea or, you know, do you think you'd like a bath? Um, so how can we kind of help to help to find that permission? Yeah, it's a, it's a great one. Um, this is a big theme. In fact, uh, I was writing about this um, not so long ago, and I, I produced an all-purpose permission to pause form, um, which uh, which you fill in for yourself at some point, and it, it grants you the permission to pause for, and you've got various, you know, it's a joke, so you've got kind of multiple choice tick boxes of how long for and what for. So this is a sort of jokey way of, of allowing yourself to remind yourself, you know. So um, I think it's a good idea what you say is to engage people around you, um, uh, be they uh, co-workers or... Uh, family members or friends, you know, and you can explain what that's about, you can have people to, to nudge you. But of course, the better way to do that is to also do it for them. So if you're doing it for them and offering them, you know, maybe you need a cup of tea. Um, there's things that you can work into your daily routine. I mean, the cup of tea in our culture in the UK is, of course, a massive thing. Um, and actually, that's probably there for a reason. And one of the things I've invited to people to do as well is to drink a cup of tea or coffee or whatever, and just drink the tea or coffee so to give yourself permission to actually whilst you're drinking the cup of tea or coffee not do anything else because it's very easy to do other things while you're reading a cup of drinking a cup of tea or, or coffee you can be reading something or talking to somebody but every once in a while allow yourself to just drink 
the tea or coffee. Of course, there's a downside to that because then you actually get to taste the tea or coffee. And when you actually pay attention to the taste of the tea or coffee, often you're disappointed. So, you know, um, you know, or you can do the same with a piece of music. Uh, choose a song that you like on your phone if you've got headphones and listen to one single song um, and make it your song. Change it every now and then. Um, but yes, engaging people around you, it, you remind them, they remind you. I think that can be really, really helpful. And it, and that is extending the permission, you know, so in a team of people, if a, a number, a couple of people are doing that, then that's starting to grow a micro culture of it where we recognizing and acknowledging it's okay just to take a few moments here and there. It's not, uh, we're not failing or being self-indulgent. It's a necessary part of the work. I wanted to just go back to something you said before, Rob, about, um, I can't remember how you phrased it, but to me, it feels like there's almost a badge of honour for some people about how many hours in the day they can work. And, you know, you often read interviews with um, entrepreneurs and they say, you know, they get up at four in the morning and do this, that and the other. But I wondered whether, given the current scenario we're living in and people have maybe had to stop more than they used to, maybe they're not commuting or they're not doing other things, we might see a change in those attitudes. Yes, I would hope so. Um, at the same time, I think the those those cultural influences go long and deep. You know, they go back a long way and they go very deep. Um, so I wouldn't be too optimistic about any kind of radical radical change. But I think it's um, simply working more hours pushing harder seems to me to be such a limited strategy you know um and i think that we can all do our bit i mean i spent many years trying to reclaim the word lazy as a good um and bertrand russell a long time ago wrote a fabulous book called in praise of idleness you know that if you think about it in research terms, it's hard to justify pure research because it's not aimed at a specific goal because you don't know what you're going to discover. But we all know that unless uh, undirected pure research is undertaken, then there's nothing for the applied research to work upon. So I think it's similar on a personal level. Um, the um, Yeah, but I think, again, it speaks to the to the idea that we're also we're subject to the culture, but we're also constantly creating a culture. So one little, another thing I tried for a while, which was quite interesting in its response is often when you ask somebody how they are, they'll say busy. Um, and sometimes they'll say incredibly busy or really busy or busy, busy, busy. And I kind of noticed that that was, that sort of carried with it an assumption of, of status and worth. Um, I noticed that nobody ever said when you ask them how they are, Oh, not really, not really doing anything. That that was kind of, hmm. And so one of the things I started to, and I didn't really believe that. So one of the things I started to do is when people said they were busy, I would I would say to them, is, and is that good? Is that good, busy? Uh, or is does that kind of degree of busyness feel good? In order to just try and kind of at least prod and poke at the idea that busy is always good. Sometimes it is. Um, but maybe we can start little habits like that and spread those as well to make it easier for people not to feel they have to be busy. And I'm sure, you know, doctors and other frontline staff listening to this will think, well, you know, I have no choice about being busy, especially at the moment, you know, if I'm working on a busy shift and there's a lot of patients. Um, so sort of respecting the fact that we can still find these moments to pause even if it is just a breath or a step or um 
what can we do if we're facing a particularly busy period um, and we feel like we need a longer moment to pause, but it's hard to create time for that? Um, it's very difficult to ask that question generally because it's going to depend upon the person and their interests and their habits and, and, and all the rest of it, you know. So, um, but I suppose perhaps a general way of putting it would be um, to find an activity. Let's assume that this person is unable to, as it were, clear the decks and do nothing, but to find an activity in which you can become engrossed which can absorb your attention entirely and so to give a few examples that might be instead of getting home from busy work and feeling that you now have to tend to the children and invent games and be the perfect parent how about just getting incredibly curious and interested in them whether it's watching them exquisitely closely um, there's a different quality of being with them when you feel you have to as it were, manage the situation when you just sort of surrender to it. You have to prepare food or we all do some time or other, you know, even if you're making something very simple. You know, a friend of mine, uh, he and his wife, they have what they call baked bean Fridays. No, beans on toast Fridays. And so every week the two of them have beans on toast. And they're real foodies actually. But what they do is they have a tin of beans and they pay exquisite attention to the kind of toast they have and how toasted it is. And they play around with the proportion of beans to toast or add a drop of milk or try it with pepper or cheese. And so there's there's a sort of this beans on toast Friday, you know, and actually they've got to the level where if they can't do it on Friday because they're busy, they'll do beans on toast Friday on Sunday. Um, and so they've created this little oasis or haven all around this piece of very ordinary food in which they become completely engrossed and whilst they're doing that other things recede or die away so you know i'd say it's going to depend it could be walking your dog it could be playing an instrument it could be but i guess the the real art to this would be to find something you have to do like food and to find a way to be as it were still or absorbed in that thing um, whilst you're doing it. So rather than feeling like you have to add something else to your day, take something you're already going to have to do and make that a moment where you tend to take a pause. I think that's right. Because in the end, when it comes down to it, given that, as I said at the beginning, you can't, a pause isn't doing nothing. I mean, in my own view of meditation is actually, it's absolutely not about stilling the mind. That's that happens when you're dead. <laughs> I'm not sure it happens before. Uh, comatose, perhaps. Um, so, so absolutely, to, to, to not make it an additional thing to do with all the attendant attitudes and feelings around that of, of success and ticking things off, but to make it something you can sink into. Um, and, and, it's, and so therefore, it's not just a, it's a choice, but it's also it's about something you do with your attention. Um, which has, in the end, you end up talking about qualities rather than quantities. So not about how many minutes you might pause or hours or days, but the quality of that time. Um, and weaving it into something you're already doing is is a very 
kind of elegant well something you have to do so another practical example would be many people in the medical profession i imagine still go to work so gps maybe not but but hospital staff have to go from their home to the to the hospital and that time you could do lots of things you could fill it with listening to podcasts or trying to get ahead with reading the great literature or catching up on the news or any of those things or you could choose not to and you could choose to just have time in your vehicle with whoever else is in it with you and not necessarily even to talk to them um and we often talk about the the kind of bubble of the motor car in relation to road rage and how we behave differently because of that bubble well this is a way of flipping that and making the bubble a a, a positive thing an oasis or a haven rather than a a distancing a negative distancing and Rob, could you speak briefly about the idea of a forward anchor as well? So for people who are very busy who can't, let's say you can't find a way to pause right now, you've got a shift or a schedule that is just chock-a-block. One of the things I've observed that is very helpful is to know that there is some time you've set aside, however long or short, uh, in the future that is coming. And one of my readers called this a forward anchor. So that idea that, you know, I've got a hell of a week um, but on Saturday morning, I am going to take the dog for a walk on the moors and get muddy. And the knowing it's coming uh, helps you, can help you to um, borrow almost that sense of stillness and quiet uh, or time for yourself, whatever is your version of that, in the midst of, of the mayhem. Um, and I think that's surprisingly effective, actually. Well, I thought that was a really interesting chat with Rob. I think he explained for me much more clearly what taking a pause means. And it doesn't have, you know, when he said oh, it doesn't have to be doing nothing, it can be, you know, taking a step into a room or making yourself a cup of tea. Because I think before we spoke to him, I thought, oh, what does this concept of pausing actually mean? And now I think maybe it's something I could incorporate into my day. Yeah, absolutely. Um I'm a bit, sort of feel a bit challenged by it <laughs> that you know it's a bit easier for someone to say oh well you know if you sit down and do 10 minutes of meditation and listen to this app at least I kind of someone's telling me what to do so it feels like it's a bit more of a challenge to think about well what are the opportunities for me to do this um, but at the same time I feel that if I spend some time reflecting on that it will be much more powerful and much more sustainable because of it because I'll be finding space that really works for me and I just the idea of sitting down and drinking a cup of tea or coffee and not doing anything else just seems really <laughs> practical <laughs> no I agree Kat it did part of me thought oh is this just another thing to add to my day it almost made me think of I've practiced CBT before and one of the techniques they talk about in CBT is is writing down your worries and having a worry diary and allocating time in your day to worry about those worries which I think is a really great idea until you start worrying that you've not worried about your worries <laughs> and but when I was listening to Rob I thought could I also now start stressing that I haven't paused and maybe that's kind of defeating the point of the whole process. Absolutely but then I think for me it was more the other way around so I've been trying to um, take a walk at lunchtime because otherwise I can go all day without seeing the daylight 
Um, and the other day I was really tight for time and I thought I've only got four minutes. <laughs> um, am I really going to like go for a walk in four minutes? And I thought I can get to the corner of the street and back in four minutes. Um, and, and so I did, I kind of made that time and, uh, and valued it even though it was really short. And it, as Rob said, you know, chronologically it wasn't very long, but the impact it had was huge. So I think kind of just, um, that was helpful for me that mm. thinking like it doesn't have to be this set thing like the yoga or the worry diary or the kind of oh half an hour of fresh air and exercise it's just some kind of time and space um, mm. that can help to kind of give us a bit of renewal mm. um, no and I get so that and I do think it's helpful for us all to be reminded that it's okay to take a bit of space in your day for yourself I just I still don't know if I completely understand how you're going to know when that's enough and kind of what when am I cured by the pausing? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I'm not sure that's the business, is it? It's not the business of being cured. It's the, it's the business. I like it when he said, um, it's like yeast. It just kind of leavens and lightens your life. So it's, you know, it's not like, when do you know you're going to have the fluffiest bread in the whole world? But it's, you know, <laughs> if your life is a little bit lighter and less flat and less challenging, then you're doing something right. No, that's that's a very delicious way of thinking about it. I'll try and I'll try and stick with that. Well, I think that's all we've got time for. So thanks ever so much to our guest Rob Poynton for coming on the podcast. And please do check us out on social media. We're at BMJ underscore latest on Twitter or join the BMJ Wellbeing Group on Facebook. We'd love to hear your ideas for what we might cover in future podcasts. Until next time, it's goodbye from us. Bye. Bye.